well worth uh, leaving the, the uh, Ephesians passage open there, page 1135, if you've just shut it, and maybe uh, using the service sheet or one of the bits of paper near you to um, put another bit of paper in Ezekiel 47, which was page 852. Page 852, we'll, we'll come to that uh, later. Uh, but uh, we continue our series in Ephesians this morning. We come to the end of uh, chapter 3, these uh, incredible uh, words, this prayer that Paul prays, and we will join him uh, in that just now. So I'm going to pray for us. Let's pray together. Father God, we are your people. Uh, we are those who have been brought near by the blood of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask that out of your glorious riches you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you speak to us so that we might know you better. We pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts that they would be enlightened in order that we might know the hope to which you have called us. We ask this for your glory's sake. Amen. Uh, so Ephesians chapter 3 and hopefully you've got that outline uh, as we uh, dig into that. Uh, together now. Um, one of my favourite uh, memories uh, growing up was uh, going to visit my grandparents in, uh, in Canberra. Got, uh, as I got a bit older, I was allowed to go down on my own on the bus and uh, stay with them uh, for a few days during the holidays. I'm sure it was a relief to my parents to send me on the bus, but I thought it was a treat. Um, and as, uh, the, their house in Canberra backed on to Mount Taylor in Canberra, not hardly uh, an impressive mountain uh, by world standards, but at the time as a young boy it was an incredible sight. And as I grew older I was allowed to go and climb that mountain solo and the best bit was arriving at the summit, uh, which again as a young boy felt an incredible achievement, uh, and being able to look back down the path that I'd walked, see the terrain uh, that I'd travelled and look at the valleys around and just marvel at that part of God's creation. And I want to suggest to you that as we've gone through Ephesians, which is uh, one of the mountains, great mountains of the scriptures, uh, that's the point we've arrived at as we get to the end of Ephesians chapter 3. We're at the halfway point of this letter, but it's very much a mountaintop moment. And uh, a prayer that we find here in these verses is designed to have us look back and see all that we have seen over these weeks together. Uh, seeing together the spectacular dimensions of God's creative power for us in the Lord Jesus. And what we've seen together over these weeks is God's immense plan for us and indeed for the entire universe. And it is a, is a plan captured uh, for us in our passage, if you've got it open there, chapter 3, verse 19. This, this is his purpose, this is his plan. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's God's plan for you, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. The Bible says that's what we need most and it is what the Spirit of God desires for us, to be filled up with God's fulfilment. That's his purpose. Uh, your little life filled full and overflowing with the very life of God. That's his purpose for us. That's his plan. And it's not just this verse, it's what we've seen as we've gone through. If you've got Ephesians open, uh, flick back to chapter 1 verse 22 and you'll see it there. Uh, 1 verse 22. God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. There's that purpose again. 
And uh, sorry about this, we're jumping around a bit, but if you flick forward in Ephesians to chapter 4, verse 13, you'll see it again there. Uh, Our goal, it says, until we all reach unity in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. There it is again. His goal for you is to be filled full of Christ. Uh, We won't look at it now, but even as we go into chapter 5, it says, uh, do not be filled with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Uh, This is his purpose for us. God wants us to fill our life with the fullness of his life, uh, to fill us with the blessing of his presence in our lives and in our life together as a church. And he's doing this, uh, as we've seen in the early chapters of Ephesians, through the death and resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Ephesians has been showing us. That in love he chose you in Christ uh, to be his children, to be redeemed and forgiven by the blood shed on the cross, to be sealed as his by the giving of his spirit so that he might come and dwell with you, to fill you. Uh, We, and we saw this last week, we who were far away have been brought near for that purpose. Uh, We who were divided, that picture of Jew and Gentile, completely hostile to each other, now made one for this purpose. And that's the view at the end of uh, chapter 2. If you look in uh, Ephesians, uh, just actually at the start of chapter 3 there, you'll see Paul is about to pray. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, and then he's about to pray and then I'm not sure if I can say this, but he gets somewhat sidetracked until we get to uh, verse 14 where we're up to. So what he's just seen is causing him to pray. What is it that he's just seen? We'll have a look back in chapter 2, the end of chapter 2, verse 21. This is what he sees as he stands on the mountaintop. In him, that's Jesus, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become the dwelling in which God lives by his spirit, that he fills this dwelling. That's his purpose for us. God's plan for all things is to fill us with the blessing of his presence. And what our job is, this is what we're seeing in Ephesians, is to line up our lives with that purpose. And I think that's where the challenge comes in. Uh, For us to actually be those who fully grasp the richness, the fullness that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. To have our lives actually be filled with that rather than filled with other things. And there is actually, what we're seeing here is there is actually no limit to the fullness available to us. It will cause our cup to overflow. There's more fullness available than we can take in. And yet the limit that we put is our own ability to grasp it. But what today's passage is going to help us with is it's going to show us the answer to our shallow grasp of all that is ours because of the Lord Jesus is to pray, is to ask him for for this fullness. If we are to increase our fill of the fullness that is ours in Christ Jesus, it's going to start by asking him to do it. And if you want to know what to pray, if we were to ask that, Ephesians 3, 4-19 is the answer. Here is our prayer. Here's our model. Uh, Very simply, and you can see this on the outline, what we're going to see together in this prayer is who who the prayer is from, who the prayer is to, and what is prayed for. That's what we're going to see. Uh, Firstly, who it's from, and you see this in verse 14. This is a prayer from a place of humble awe and need. Uh, Do you see the awe? 
as he looks back over the terrain that we've been in in Ephesians so far, as he sees that God is building this new temple and joining us together in it and dwelling there himself, he says, for this reason, I bow the knee. He falls to his knees in awe, looking over all that he has seen, looking over God's plan, looking over the power of God's love to bring this about, he falls to his knees in awe. But not just in awe, he falls to his knees knees in need, in dependence. I mean, that's the, that's the position when you're in need, isn't it? Knees bowed, pleading independence before God. And, and I think that's why we find prayer so hard. Uh, we don't feel that need very often. Uh, we are self-sufficient people, or we try to be. We are those who can provide for ourselves, or so we imagine. And so the thought of being on our, in, in, on our knees in desperate need is, well, just not where we're at. Uh, and especially when it comes to what his purpose for us is. We don't feel we need what he plans to fill us with. I mean, if you were to ask God, uh, pray this afternoon for a fill-up, uh, for God to fill your life up in some way, some way that it's lacking, I, I wonder what you'd ask for. Would you ask to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God? Now, often our fulfilment agendas are way too small and so we need to join Paul on our knees as he prays this prayer. So it's a prayer from a place of humble need. Who is it a prayer to? Well, again, verse 14 and 15, you see that. It's a prayer to a rich king who is indeed actually our father. You see it? For this reason, I kneel before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Uh, Here is a prayer to our Heavenly Father, uh, a father who knows what we need before we ask, we're told in the Bible. A father who, uh, Jesus says, loves to give good gifts and this is his best gift. And a father who is king because, you see what it says of him? Every family in heaven and on earth derives its name from him. It has his name stamped on it. We belong to him. Every sphere of life, every household, he's in charge. That's who we pray to and the resources from which this king and father can answer us. Do you see it there in verse 16? He can answer us according to his glorious riches. It says, I think, in the NIV, out of his glorious riches, but it's actually according to and that's important because if someone was to give you something in response to a request out of their riches, well, it might be, say, a $20 donation to a cause. They could give you that out of their riches. But if they're going to give you something according to their riches, it means that they're going to spare no expense. They're going to cover the full costs. They're going to write the full check. And so that's the sort of God that we pray to, a heavenly Father who is gloriously rich and will give according to that richness. And so because of that, here's what the Apostle Paul asks from God's riches. Two main requests. Uh, You can see them on the outline there. First is this, he prays for power that Christ may dwell in our heart by faith. Verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he, that is God, may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. If you want to be filled with the fullness of God, you're going to need to ask for power to get the job done. And the word power uh, used here is uh, the word that uh, we get, our word dynamite. (laughs) It's that sort of power. It's power to really get the job done. (laughs) 
Uh, where's the source of that power? Do you see it there, verse 16? It's not us. You don't have that power. I don't have that power. It is the Spirit of God who can power us in that way. The, the same power that was able to raise Christ from the dead, the same power that made you alive in Christ, the, the same power that if you look back in 1 verse 17, gives us wisdom and revelation, that's the power that he prays for here, the power that we might know God better. That's how the Spirit goes to work. The Spirit strengthens us by speaking this word about Jesus to us, a word that reveals God to us, a word that strengthens our connection to God. Uh, it, the word in your hands, and I hope it is in your hands right now, 2 Timothy 3.16 says it is a Spirit-powered word. This is how God strengthens us. And where does the Spirit do this work? Where is he trying to strengthen us? Do you see it, the ver- verse 16? It is in our inner being. Or to put it another way, and it really means the same thing, verse 17, in our hearts. The Spirit goes right to the heart of us. That's where he wants to do this work, where our will is, where our loves are, where our hopes are held, where our choices are made. That's where he wants to strengthen us. Strengthening our connection to God at that point. And how we need our inner being strengthened. One of my favourite parts of the Bible, uh, Romans 7, is one of my favourites because it paints, I think, a really... Well, a realistic picture of what it's like to be a Christian and the struggle of our inner being. There's part of us that wants to go God's way and wants to hear what he has to say and there's another part of us that just wrestles against that and wants to choose our own sinful ways. Now, Romans 7 verse 22 says that that's happening in our inner being. So that's where the Spirit goes to work. If we want to be filled with the fullness of God rather than filled with, well, other stuff, then we need the Spirit to daily strengthen us. And we need our inner being strengthened because as as we saw in 2 Corinthians last year, remember 2 Corinthians 4, it says that right now, and perhaps you feel this acutely at the moment, your outer being is wasting away. Uh, Day by day that's happening. And so what God is purposed to do is as our outer being wastes away to strengthen and renew our inner being and he does that by his spirit. Uh, We need our inner being strengthened because... It is a daily need and more than that, you see it there, verse 17, it's because this work that the Spirit is doing is a personal work. It is so that, verse 17, Christ may dwell in our hearts. That's why we need to be strengthened. I love this. The Spirit of God is not just in your inner being building a strong house there. He's building a house to be lived in. Uh, the more the Spirit's spoken word strengthens us inwardly, the more Jesus comes to take up residence at the very centre and heart of our lives. And that word dwell in verse 17 for what Christ will do, uh, it, it's a strong word. It, it means someone who's a permanent resident. It's not just a temporary visitor. And there is a massive difference, isn't there, between somebody who comes and perhaps stays at our house for a night or two and someone who's permanent. <laughs> Uh, the last thing we would expect of somebody who stayed for a night or two is that they would start to renovate our house and change it all and rearrange the pictures and that would be an entirely odd thing for them to do. But those who are permanent, those who are part of the household, well, they start to, the house is shaped around who they are. You see it in their house. Uh, I love our home just uh, back there and the reason I love our home is because it's filled with marks of our family. I recognise it instantly. Well, that's what the Spirit of God is doing. He wants our house, our life, 
to look like Christ. How does that change happen? Verse 17, through faith. This spirit-spoken word about Jesus is to be received by us in our hearts by faith. We're meant to trust it. And as we trust him, he makes our heart his home. And the more the spirit indwells there, the more our home gets changed. It starts to look like him. And you want to experience the fulfilment of God's fullness in your life. Pray for power in your inner being that Christ may dwell there by faith. And what would such a life being filled like that look like? Well, you see there at the end of verse 17, it would look like a life that is being rooted and established in love. Uh, If you search the scriptures for the distinctive marker of a full Christian, (laughs) a mature Christian, it's this, it's love. That's the marker. That's, That's what you should see all around the house. And that's because that's how our life as Christians began. You remember it? We've seen it as we've gone through Ephesians. Back in 1 verse 5, we're told, in love he predestined us to be adopted as his children. And then again in chapter 2 verse 4, because of his great love he made you alive in Christ. That's the soil that you've been planted in, his love. That's the foundation the house is being built on. And how he began is now how he intends to keep building and growing. The house will start to fill with what God is full of, love. Well, let's look at the second request that Paul brings, which is, I think, essentially asking the same thing, but in a different way. Uh, This time the focus isn't on us individually, it's actually on us as a church. And that's appropriate when you remember the context of the prayer. Remember that that description at the end of chapter 2, in him we, the whole building, is being joined together. You're being built together to become the dwelling in which God lives. He's speaking of the church. He's speaking of us. And so what should we pray together? Well, verses 18 and 19 has that. We should pray again for power to know the dimensions of God's plan for us and the dimensions of his love for us. And once again, it is crucial as we start to pray that to remember without power, we will not grasp his plan. Without power, we will not understand his love. And so Paul says, I pray that you may have power together with all the ones who have been made holy, that's my translation of the verse, to grasp the width and the length and the height and the depth. We are to pray that God will help us comprehend the dimensions, we're told there. Dimensions of what? Well, if you've got the NIV in front of you, which is our pew Bibles there, they've had a bit of a go as to the dimensions he's talking about. They've said uh, the, the width, the length, the height and depth of the love of God, but It's bigger than that. It's not just his love they're talking about. They've just added that in. It's not there. These are words that are are echoing words promised hundreds of years before. That's why poor Stephanie had to read three readings for us. I wanted you to hear those words. It's speaking of the very thing, the promise that's there at the end of Ezekiel is speaking of the very thing described at the end of chapter 2, this new temple that God is building. Uh, The context of Ezekiel is of Israel, that that is God's people, utterly in despair. Their temple, where they gathered with God and gathered together, has been destroyed. They're now exiles in Babylon because of God's judgment on their sin. And as Ezekiel comes towards an end in the final chapters, chapter 40 onwards, a, a daring question starts to be asked, and it is daring in the face of their sin, will God ever return 
Can they ever be with him again? Will they ever know his presence and the fullness of that? Will, will that ever happen again? And the wonderful answer that comes to the fore in those final chapters of Ezekiel is this promise of a new temple. And I wonder if you heard it in the reading from Ezekiel 43. If you, if you want to flick there, it's uh, page 847. Part of the answer to their question as God promises this new temple is he says, I want you to know how big it's going to be. And so the start of Ezekiel 43, he says, The man brought me, that's Ezekiel, to the gate facing east, and I saw the glory of God, the God of Israel, coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters, and the land was radiant with his glory. The glory of the Lord entered the temple, present with them. And as Ezekiel 43 goes on, it starts to describe the dimensions of it, but then it zooms in on one part of the temple. It zooms in on the very heart of the temple, the altar. And even that is enormous. Just there at the centre, it is massive. And the prophet is told to do this in the verses that follow in Ezekiel 43. Measure the width of the altar. Measure its length. See its height. Look at its depth. The altar was where God shows his love for his people, where sins could be forgiven, where God's wrath was turned away by bloodshed. That's what happened at the altar. It's where God dwelt with them. And all the way through the, the, the uh, uh, book of Ezekiel, the, the constant reference to the temple is that's the place where God's holy ones gathered together. And with that in mind, have a look at 3 verse 18 of Ephesians and you see how he's echoing it there. Paul prays there for believers to be strengthened, to be able to grasp together with all of God's holy ones, that's Ezekiel language, what is the width? and the length and the height and the depth of this new temple that God is building. Paul is asking for power to grasp God's plans, not just for Israel, but now for all the world, and the dimensions are enormous. You want to be filled with God's fulfilment? Paul says pray for this shared task of understanding the dimensions of this place. Paul says you've got to pray for power to do that, to grasp this hope that you've been called to. That's our job to grasp this together. That's why we gather together like this on a Sunday and in small groups, to, to, to measure it out, to see how big it is. It's like what God calls us to do in Psalm 48. This is what he says there, speaking of the temple again. He says, walk about it, go around, count the towers, consider well the ramparts, view the citadels that you may tell of them to the next generation. And then we zoom in on the centrepiece of the new temple, the altar where sins are forgiven, where judgment is turned away by bloodshed, where God dwells. And here's what we're seeing in Ephesians. The place, the altar, is now a person. Jesus Christ. His blood shed to redeem us. And so it's no surprise, as Paul prays for power to grasp the dimensions of this temple, he zooms in on the altar, and do you see it there, verse 18? It is to know this love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. There it is. The love of Christ that takes us from those living against God, spiritually dead and enslaved to our own sin and brings us forgiveness by his bloodshed, raises us to life as his children. We are to pray for power to grasp Christ's love together. That's the altar. And yes, it says here in verse 18, you can know that love truly. You can know it, but you'll never plumb the depths of it. It's depths, uh, the further you go, the deeper it gets. That's the picture here. 
That's what being filled with the fullness of God is like. The further you go, the deeper it gets. And if you want a picture of that, just as we move towards a close, come with me to Ezekiel one more time, this time chapter 47, uh, page 852. And there you have a picture of water flowing out of the centre of the temple, flowing out of the altar. And have a look at the picture. Verse 1 of Ezekiel 47, The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple and I saw water coming out of it, flowing from under the threshold of the temple. And as Ezekiel is shown the temple, he becomes aware right there at the, at the entrance to the temple, a small trickle of water coming from it, just enough that you could almost scoop your hands under it and maybe get a drink. And the man guides Ezekiel further east, watching the flow of water out of the temple. The man leads Ezekiel in the path of the water and they begin to measure its progress, measuring again. I mean, can you picture it? There's two guys starting to walk in water as they walk away from the temple and they begin to follow the stream, we're told, uh, for a thousand cubits, about 500 metres. And the guide stops them at that point and uh, they, the, the two of them splashing about in the water and now it's ankle deep. And he says, do you see it, Ezekiel? Do you grasp it? It was just a trickle and now it's up to our ankles and you can almost imagine Ezekiel thinking, you know, I'm not dressed for this. But the guide leads on, another thousand cubits, and they stop again, splashing about in the water. Now it's knee deep. Ezekiel looks around, he's wondering, how is this happening? Normally, the way streams work is they eventually run dry. If there's no tributary, there's nothing feeding into it. But it's only one source, the altar, the temple. The guide pushes on. And now we're told they're up to their waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it's a river so wide that I could not cross it. The water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. Uh, Such a brilliant picture, Ezekiel 47. These two men splashing about like little kids. And the guide leads Ezekiel to the bank and he shows him something even more spectacular. He shows him what the water is doing. It's bringing things to life. Restoring, healing, wherever it goes. That's God's love for us in the Lord Jesus. That's the fulfilment of this promise. The more we grasp it, we're told here in Ephesians 3, the bigger it will get. It surpasses any knowledge that we could have. That's why Paul prays here. The, uh, the reason he wants us to have power to grasp more and more of it is, do you see it there, verse 19? That we might be filled with all the measure of the fulfilment of God. He wants us to be filled with this. It is what we need most. It is what God's spirit desires for us. And I want to say to you as we finish, it's what our world needs most from this place. What our world needs from our church is a church that bows the knee before our gloriously rich Father and King and keeps asking him to have his mighty spirit empower us that he may go to work in our inner being, that he may renovate the house, that Christ may dwell there and then to show us the width and the length and the height and the depth of this life-giving love of the Lord Jesus. Our world needs Christians filled with that so that they can see where life is found. Let me finish with this. If we were to pray that, uh, here's the answer we can expect. You see it there in verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than all we ask or think, according to his power that is at work in us, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. You see the answer? As we pray this big prayer that Paul is asking, and it is a big prayer, what can we expect God to do? Simply this, he can do what we're asking. 
But more than that, do you see, it's just like the river, isn't it? Uh, it builds. God is able to do what we ask or think. Anything that we might imagine, anything we might hope for, that God might do in terms of our Christian maturity, he can do that. But it builds again, just like the river. God is able to do all we ask or think, not just some of it, all of it. No sphere of life outside his power to fill us in this way. And, and it builds again. He is able to do more than all we ask or think. And just in case we haven't got our confidence up to pray this prayer yet, he goes on, he's able to do abundantly more than all we ask or think. And just to really drive it home, he is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than all we ask or think. Our response? Bend the knee and pray for yourself, uh, for this church, for our city, for his glory forever. Let me pray for us now. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your unrelenting purpose for us, that we may, our little lives, be filled with the fullness of your life, that we may have Christ dwell in our hearts by faith. And we pray, Father, that you would give us a, a hunger in our very inner being for that fullness. And we pray that you would give us the power to grasp more of it. We ask this for your glory's sake. Amen. Let's stand together and sing, knowing that this promise is ours, received by faith. That's what we're going to sing of now. Let's sing together by faith.